0: Hello and welcome back. This is Consider This Northumberland and I'm your host Robert Washburn and you're listening to Northumberland 89.7 FM. The average price of a house in Northumberland is about $620,000. There are bidding wars going on right now for homes and when a home comes on the market bids start almost right away. Before it might have taken a couple of days for things to heat up. It's crazy busy for agents. At least that's what Jody Ledgerwood said. She is president of the Northumberland Hills Association of Realtors. It all seems counterintuitive. It's the middle of a second wave of a pandemic. Record numbers of people are getting the virus, and we're all being told to stay home. Even the Ontario Real Estate Association, the governing body of agents in the province, is telling realtors not to show homes in person. Yet despite all this, houses across the county are being sold, and they're being sold quickly. So what's behind this? Here is my interview with the woman who knows. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Jody Ledgerwood, president of the Northumberland Hills Association of Realtors. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you, Robert. The Ontario government announced the first phase of changes to legislation overseeing the real estate industry. Why was that necessary?
1: The industry's regulatory body has not updated the act that governs us since 2002. Uh, 2002, we really didn't have the internet. Email wasn't uh, explosive as it is now or our main form of, of communicating. Uh, we were still, the fax machine was still fairly new. Um, so now with changes in technology, we realized that our act was completely out of date. So it was time to update the act in order to match the technology changes that we've seen over the last 18 years.
0: So was it primarily technology that was driving it or were there other factors as well?
1: Technology was probably the main drive. How we do business today is very, very different from how we did it 18 years ago. Um, The development of the internet and the availability of information is very different from what it was 18 years ago. 18 years ago, realtors were um, looking at listings through books, MLS books, that our associations provided for us. So basically, when we found out a house was on the market, it was already on the market two weeks. It was two weeks old. Now, information is instantaneous. It's all over the Internet. Um, We have realtor.ca, which wasn't even covered in our previous legislation. So technology was definitely the driving force behind the changes. Um, the way that we we communicate with each other, definitely a driving force. As well, educational standards have changed over the last 18 years to try and keep up with technology. Um, other government legislations have come into play such as PEPIDA and, and the Ministry of Consumer and Commercial Relations is constantly updating and the Family Law Act updating. So all of these other changes coming into play have severely outdated REBA 2002. So it was very much necessary that changes be made and that our governing act be updated to coincide with what's going on in today's world.
0: Now, I know one of the other changes that was announced by the government recently was that it would allow real estate professionals to incorporate and be paid through a personal real estate corporation. How does this impact agents like yourself?
1: So for years... Every other professional organization, such as your lawyers and your accountants, have been able to personally incorporate. Um, In six other provinces in Canada, realtors have been allowed to incorporate. Ontario, we were not allowed to incorporate. And our our RIVA 2002 act said that a brokerage is not allowed to pay a corporation. So they had to pay or sorry, my apologies, a realtor, an individual realtor was not allowed to collect commission um, from another corporation and you couldn't claim to be a corporation. Um, so you were paying much higher taxes, even though our expenses are much higher than, uh, than other professions. So, under the new act, under TRESA, individual realtors will now be able to incorporate, which will help save them uh, personally in taxes. Now, this isn't going to benefit most realtors, but it is going to benefit a handful of realtors. Uh, in order for it to benefit you, you have to have a, a certain income level um, for it to benefit you. Um
0: so a couple of things come out of that. The first one is if you're allowed to uh, become this personal real estate corporation, is that going to change the relationships uh, between uh, customers and the person that's selling them? I, I wonder. It kind of sounds a little bit like um, you're going to have all these independent contractors, individuals, and and you know it's going to be almost like Uber, where you know if I have a car, I can pick up people and make money. Um, So there's no regulations like the taxi industry. So is that similar to what's happening now? Can anybody set it up or is it still regulated?
1: No, no, no. It's still regulated. So uh, um, perhaps what the general public doesn't know is every real estate salesperson, or I shouldn't say every, probably 99.9% of every real estate salesperson out in Ontario are independent contractors. We cannot, under both legislations, Reba and Tressa, we cannot work for ourselves as a salesperson. You must work under a broker's license. So even if you incorporate, you have your your real estate salesperson's license, or it's actually called a registration, not a license. As long as you have your salesperson's registration, you must work under a broker's license. So even if you're incorporated, you still have to work under a broker's license. A brokerage is not allowed to pay commissions to anyone who is not licensed. So you, you still have to carry a license, and you still have to work under a broker's license. Now, if you are a real estate salesperson who has a broker's license you have the opportunity to open up your own brokerage. If you do not open up your own brokerage and you're not approved by RICO, then you still have to work under another broker's license. So there's not going to be anybody going rogue or becoming Ubers. (laughs) Um, We still have to work under a broker's license that has been approved by RICO.
0: Under the proposals from the provincial government, the Ontario Real Estate Association, or OREA, may be getting more powers to discipline brokers, as well as expedite even eliminate hearings. How significant are these changes to the industry?
1: So the current changes coming in are are just giving tax advantages, professional tax advantages, to realtors, um, and then. What they're also, and obviously we're able to change our designation on all of our business cards, our advertising. But what the second phase, so that's our current phase that we're in right now, are those two items. The second phase is modernizing the code of ethics. And the code of ethics is how real estate professionals are supposed to behave in the real estate industry, how they're supposed to behave with clients, how they're supposed to behave with customers, and how they're supposed to behave with other other colleagues. Um, it's also going to talk about disclosure requirements. It's going to improve disclosure requirements when working with clients and other, other colleagues. Um, we're not sure what that's going to look like yet we are being promised that rico our regulatory body will have um, stronger uh, disciplinary actions that they will be able to suspend licenses and revoke licenses um, i believe at this moment in time they don't necessarily have that power but uh, don't quote me on that because i'm not 100 percent sure on that but i do know that if there was some gross negligence that basically just tiny fines were levied uh, realtors were sent back to educational courses um and if they wanted to suspend or pull a license then they actually had to go through a a hearing etc in order to do so um we're being promised that that is going to change and that if it's gross negligence um, and I'm not even sure what that is going to look like or how that's going to be defined in under the new code of ethics so we're waiting to see what that is um, because obviously when you've got some bad apples in the industry it looks bad on everybody and I can tell you there's probably about 90 percent of the realtors out there that are fantastic and excellent to work with and follow the rules and actually legally uh, provide fiduciary duties to their clients properly and there's just a handful out there that unfortunately don't.
0: Can, can you provide some specific examples of the kinds of things these bad apples are doing so that people might be better understand and appreciate just what's going on?
1: Uh, Well, I think we all saw the, I think it was a marketplace report a couple of years ago, when realtors were disclosing confidential information about their clients in order to double end deals. Um, They weren't always acting in the best interest of their clients. They were sending they're they're buying clients out to look at houses and not going with them and giving out lockbox codes that is completely illegal um and that is i'm, I'm hoping that that's one of the things that rico will be able to step in on and immediately suspend or or revoke a license um, that's a, a complete violation of trust um with all people involved So those are some of the things that were happening and not disclosing uh, latent defects. Um, Patent defects are defects you can see in a house very easily, Um, but a latent defect is knowing something's wrong and then not disclosing it and it's not something that you might be able to see.
0: Now I know you talked about the first stage which has come into play and the second stage which is still under consultation. What things would your organization like to see in this second phase as they're going through the consultation process?
1: Um, Definitely the way that the education is handled. Um, So right now, uh, when you every two years, realtors have to take Uh, three more courses they have to update their their mandatory continuing education courses in order to get their license much like other professions have to as well Um, however it's an online course there's no classroom it used to be classroom mandatory Um, you have to sit you had to sit in the classroom for two days um for one course, and then there was two, two other optional courses that you were allowed to take. But you had to go to a classroom, you had to sit and be present, you had to participate in it, and then you would get your certificate saying you've, you've done your educational updates and your license would be renewed when you submitted your renewal application. Um, now it's all done online. There's no way to guarantee that that realtor actually sat there and did the course. There's no exam that you have to write at the end of it, um, and there's no way to to prove that you even paid attention or that you even showed up for it. Maybe you just had your your kid sitting there hitting the return, return, return button. Um, so we're what we would like to see is. Better education mandatory classroom time and and perhaps some sort of examination Um, I know some people are arguing against that saying that realtor some realtors don't do well with exams and I know our our association stance on that is well if you've been working in the industry for two years the exam should be a piece of cake for you you either know how to write up an offer or you don't you've been working for two years already that should be common sense Um, So we would really like to see tougher um, educational requirements when getting your mandatory continuing education versus what we're seeing now. And if you make it mandatory classroom again, then you know that people are actually participating, you have to sign in, you have to show your registration, you have to prove that you were there. And, And I think that's one way to make sure that all realtors are educated as professionals.
0: I'd like to talk about the local real estate market for a bit. The Ontario Real Estate Association has urged its members to stop holding open houses in September, but to use virtual tools as much as possible. Are your members here in Northumberland heeding that request, especially in the face of the second wave of the pandemic?
1: Uh, From what I've seen, I believe they are. I'm not driving around town on the weekend seeing open house signs anywhere. So I believe for the most part, uh, Northumberland Hills Association of Realtors are adhering to the no open house uh, call.
0: Now, I know that in the mainstream media, there's been uh, stories about real estate prices are on the rise across Canada. In September... I understand it was a, a record for Toronto with a 42% increase in transactions. Prices were up by 14% in Toronto. What's the market like in Northumberland right now?
1: <laughs> Pretty much the same. Our, our home sales for September were up 46.8% from last year. Um, so in September, there were 116 units that were sold uh, of, uh, for this year. Last year, there were 79 units sold in September. So huge, huge difference. Um, the average price it, from September this year to September last year is up 23%. The average price in September was $620,662 um, versus in September 29, where the average price was $504,300 or $167. So prices have jumped on average about $100,000 from last year to this year. And the reason for that jump is low inventory. We have a surplus of buyers and not enough listings to handle the amount of buyers out there.
0: Who are these buyers?
1: Um, I think a lot of them are buyers that were in condo situations and or in, well, condo situations with COVID has a lot of people running scared and people thinking, um, that they no longer want to live with so many people surrounding them because it opens them up to other possibilities with their health. So I think a lot of people are, are leaving uh, condo situations and opting for the detached home where it's just them and their family that they have to worry about and consider. Um, as well, we've got a lot of people that are of retirement age that are moving this way. Selling their big homes in Toronto and Durham area, and uh, th- what they're getting for their homes in Durham and Toronto, they can now buy uh, a very similar home or a bigger home for less money here in Northumberland. So we're getting a surplus of buyers coming, not or coming from outside of our jurisdiction, and that is driving our costs up.
0: But what about the supply side then? Why are people leaving their homes in Northumberland, uh, especially at a time uh, like this?
1: Why aren't they leaving their no, homes?
0: No. Why are the few that are? Why are they leaving? I understand why. It, may, it would seem pretty obvious. You don't want to move in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> but yeah. but the, there are people who are moving, and we, I, I mean, you drive around and you see sold signs around on houses that are for sale, and they're selling fairly quickly. Um, who are these people that are leaving and why are they leaving?
1: Um, some people are just right-sizing their home. Either they're retiring or their family has grown up, and so now they're moving from the big home to a smaller home, or their family size is growing, so now they're moving from their starter home to the next size up. Uh, some people are leaving because of job transfers, Um, and some people are just retiring so they're they're realizing they don't want to do the maintenance of a home with the the grass and the shoveling of the cutting grass and shoveling of snow so they're moving into condo situations or they're moving to other areas in the province to be where their children and grandchildren are now so that seems to be what I'm experiencing
0: now, what about investment properties and people who are not living here, they're just buying the places to either have them rented. Is, is, there, is that a trend at all, or is everybody that's buying living here?
1: It's definitely a trend. We're definitely seeing more investors buying in the area, um, especially what we would consider wartime homes that are close to schools. We're seeing a lot of those being eaten up by investors and then being rented out.
0: What impact is that having on the affordability of housing then?
1: Well, because prices are rising, uh, when an investor purchases a home for rental purposes, uh, they want to be able to cap- recapture their mortgage payments and their property taxes. So we are definitely seeing rents rise. Um, some rents are definitely unaffordable for our local area. Um, we don't have the same sort of big incomes that you might see in a city in a city center. So it is causing rents to become unaffordable, so that the investors can afford their mortgage and property taxes.
0: Now, with all the economic news that we're hearing from the federal and provincial governments and and from various banks, uh, going forward, it sounds very precarious in terms of the economy. What are you thinking is going to take place as we go forward economically? Are you concerned at all? Are you worried? Or do you think these trends are going to continue? Because it seems so counterintuitive on one level, and yet when you explain it, it makes sense. So what do you anticipate, especially in this environment?
1: Oh, that's that's a tough one. Um, even the economists are kind of mixed on this, especially with regards to the real estate industry. Um, during COVID, I, I've been probably weekly taking part in one to two seminars, webinars, educational courses, and conferences almost every week. Um, and depending on who's talking, you either get, oh, it's, Everything's going to continue to rise. People always need houses when they open the borders. The immigrants will be able to come back in. That will that will increase the demand for homes. Um, we're not going to see homes come down in prices. We're going to see them continue to rise based on demand. Then you hear other people talk. And they say, you know, because so many jobs were lost during COVID, that once the government programs for supplementation end, we're going to see in about two to three months after that, homes and a surplus of inventory of homes for people that have lost their jobs or who were furloughed or whose companies, small businesses, went out of business. We're going to see them start selling their homes because they can no longer afford their mortgages. And when we get a surplus of home inventory on the market um, we tend to see prices start to drop especially if there's not enough buyers to eat that up so I'm I'm really not sure what's going to happen Uh, I really thought that we would have seen a decrease in in home prices by now and I thought we would have seen a bigger inventory of houses come on the market But most of the government programs for supplementation have been extended. Um, So I don't think we're going to see that happen until those programs come to an end. Um, That's sort of what I think. And I wish I had a crystal ball to say when is going to be the right time to either sell your house or buy a house. But I really don't know. And as I said, the economists, depending on who you're talking to and who you're listening to, some think that this trend is going to continue and not stop, especially once the borders open up again. And other economists say once the supplementation programs are are ending or come to an end, then we're going to see the prices drop because there'll be a surplus of inventory. So it's kind of a wait and see. And real estate is, is a fickle market. Uh, today everything's hot and tomorrow it could drop out. We just don't know. It's always a roller coaster ride, and it's an interesting ride to be part of. Um, so it's a it's a wait and see what happens. If you're a seller right now, you're you're in a, a pretty good seat. If you're a buyer, it, it's it's tough out there. You're. You may be approved for a five hundred thousand dollars home, but you can't look at 500, 500000 dollars homes because ten to one it's going to be a bidding war because of the lack of inventory, so that five hundred thousand home is now going for five fifty to six hundred. So if you're approved at five hundred, you actually have to look at the four fifty market in order to be uh, even in the contest if that makes sense.
0: And you also wonder, too, about those people who, uh, you know, can't afford their mortgages anymore. Where are they going to go to live?
1: Exactly, because the, there's a very, um, our rental vacancies are extremely small. I think the last percentage I saw was that we were at 0.9% for rental vacancies. Um, and then with investors buying these houses at such high prices and then putting them on the market for for rent, the rents are still just as high as a mortgage. Um, I'm seeing quite often the average rent being anywhere between 1500 and 2400 a month plus utilities. If people couldn't afford that for their own mortgage, how are they affording that for rent? So I, I don't know where people are going. I, we may start seeing a new trend for extended families living together again um, just so that people can afford a home.
0: Do you get a sense of the precarious nature of all of this? And when I'm listening to you talk, it just seems like everything seems fragile um, and, and not, you know, if I had talked to you maybe a year ago or two years ago, it wouldn't have sounded that way.
1: Definitely two years ago, and probably even a year ago, we were much closer to a, to a balanced market. Um, we weren't seeing multiple offers on houses. We weren't really seeing a lot of holdover on dates for accepting offers. Um, and today, that seems to be common practice. It's very rare to see a home sell with only one offer on it. Um so, yeah, it, it is a very fragile system right now, and it's it's tough if you're a buyer, for sure. It's tough if you have to sell, because I don't know where you're going.
0: And what's it like for agents like yourself? I, I mean, what do you experience out of all this?
1: <laughs> our Our members are definitely working harder than they ever have. Um, you know, if you've got a buyer, you're probably writing up four, five, six offers before they actually finally win an offer situation. So you're definitely moving at the speed of light once a house is listed you you need to get in there right away there's no waiting for three or four days till it's convenient for everybody to get in you've got a you're pushing your family obligations to the side for for your clients interests and I know this weekend I worked the entire weekend and same with Thanksgiving weekend I I was able to steal four hours over Thanksgiving weekend to be with my family other than that I was running around, writing up offers and showing houses for my clients um, because houses were going just as fast as they were coming on the market. You had three days to get an offer in, at not three months. Um, so agents are definitely working much harder um, at longer hours and probably not making the kind of money that they should be for the amount of time that they're investing right now. Um, just because the inventory is not there, but if they want to get their their buyers into the market, this is what they have to do.
0: Jody Ledgerwood, I want to thank you so much for explaining all this stuff. It's incredibly complex, but you've done an amazing job. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Robert. I want to thank both my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today.